If you decided to listen to this week's message of Dr. Day Central, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. I'm so excited about what God wants to come and do at Central this year. That he stirs up a new culture of radical love. That's what I'm trusting him for. That love is not just a little action that we do, but it's something that just like flows out of us in this family. And I want to invite you guys on that journey. I want to ask you guys saying central, yeah, here. I'm here for central. Feels like everybody's ice, ice baby now. It's like... (laughs) Any case, so with that being said, we are in our series week number two of the series called Love, which is kind of like I've just mentioned the direction that we want to go in this year. And last week we looked at this truth that Jesus did not just come to revamp an old religious system, but he came to do something brand new. And we looked at our guy, Mr. Shawman, the straw man. Here in front, chilling it out. And if you can't see him clearly, it might almost look like I found myself while worshiping, like, well, who's lying on stage? And that's kind of the picture that I was seeing there. And then I realized, oh, it's just Shaw, man. You know, he's not even alive. But that's kind of the picture that we have in mind here that Jesus didn't just come to dress up something dead, old, done outdated, not working. He came to do something brand new. We see that in Revelations 21 verse 5 where the king is seated on the throne. He takes it up and the first words are, behold, I'm making all things new. So Jesus is not just dressing up and making church cool. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's doing a new thing. Are you ready for it? Are you on the journey with me for it? So then this new thing, and today we're going to explore that a little bit better, is a new commandment. It's guided by a new commandment. Just quickly want to note this, not a new suggestion. It's a new commandment. That means what you're going to hear today is not negotiable. Quickly tell the person next to you, not negotiable. <laughs> okay? So this is like, this is what, what Jesus asks us. This is what you do. This is a commandment. This is how you live. And we're going to trust God to shift something of that in our hearts. In fact, I think the best illustration that I can give of this is a car. So everybody knows a car. Some of us are car salesmen. You know them very well. And you would know if I would chat to one of the car salesmen here in this room, which I'll not name names now. I'll just keep it quiet for now. But you would know you can remove the headlights. You can remove the window. I mean, you're not going to get a lot of money for your car if you do sell it, but it's still going to be... A car. The moment, however, when you remove the wheels, it becomes a chunk of metal because it can no longer drive anywhere. And it's because you've stripped it of its essence. The thing that makes it do what it's supposed to do, no longer there. Cannot go anywhere. So the reality is this today, when we dive into this, this is kind of like what Jesus reveals. In fact, once I had a young uh, student coming to me after an evening service here in Central. Coming to me, running to me, pastor, pastor, pastor. I first just said, no, no, pastor, just Lorraine, please. Um, please tell me, how can you be, what, what does it mean to be a good, mature? When are you a mature and a good Christian? That was the big word. So, and then I looked at him and I answered. And when I answered him, he was shocked to the very core of his being. He's like, what? So I'm like, yes, yes, a good Christian is someone that, you're going to have to sit through the sermon to discover what that is. But he was shocked and he couldn't believe it. And that's kind of like the story we're going to explore today as a young man 
an expert in the law, an expert of the old system, an expert of the straw man, like one of the king's straw mans, comes to Jesus and he wants to know what does it look like to be a part of this new kingdom of Jesus? Like what's, what does it mean to be an expert, to be good, to be a mature Christian? And we're going to look at his old mandate and then we're going to see how Jesus challenged him with a new mandate. And then finally, we're going to be challenged where we're sitting right now to go and do likewise. So I hope you're ready for this. Let's dive in. Our story starts in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and it's a story of an expert in the law. So he came to Jesus wanting to test him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to live the God life, to, to be the perfect and the great Jew, bringing God's kingdom to this earth? Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, I find it so interesting. Jesus never answers questions with a simple answer. So many times we ask him and there's no answer coming back. There's usually another question. And he takes this young man on a journey. And this guy answers. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus confirms, he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live that life. This is the way you live that life. And then verse 29, we see there's some motive behind his question. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor, Jesus? How far should I go? When, when is enough? Is there a line then I'm good enough for this. And he's part of the old system where everything is, I want to say, marginalized, like brought to, down to bare minimum through the law. It's kind of that system. And this system worked with four key things. The first thing that this system ran with was it was built around sacred places. There's a temple. Some other sacred space with memorabilia and some other boundary around it. And if you go to that, that's holy ground. You know, you're like, you never ever would like, we're in the church. Have you ever heard people saying that? Like, oh, don't, don't, that language. We're in the church. Don't be for the pastor, you know. Woo, check it back, check it back. It's a holy space, this. And that's why we are in nightclubs now. Because it's no longer holy spaces. And we're on top of a nightclub now. Because we're no longer part of an old system. God is doing something new. In fact, the reason is he is holy and he moved into you. And because he is in you, wherever you go is holy ground. It's no longer one space, a temple there in the back. Second thing about the old model thinking that this guy brought to Jesus is they didn't just have sacred places. They also had sacred texts. And when I say this, I can sort of see. I see some, some guys like, what are you going to say about the Bible, Lorraine? What are you going to, what, what, what? I'm going to, let me tell you. You know, there are spaces when we take the words of the word and we elevate them above the word himself, Jesus Christ. And we want to like kind of run him like exactly like this guy's doing. It's like, okay, who's my neighbor? You say this, I, I don't, but let me just control you a little bit, you know. Let me be in control of this conversation. And it built around sacred text. And then interestingly enough, this model also not just had sacred places, it had sacred text, but it also had sacred men 
always sacred men. And they would interpret the sacred text to the people, the devout followers of this old way of doing things, an old movement. And that's the reason why I'm so sacred that you all call me pastor. Nah. No, I'm asking nobody to call me pastor. I'm actually, I'm just Lorraine. You can call me child of God because we're not a part of that picture. We're just, we're just children of, of the king. And then lastly, this model had sincere or sacred or superstitious followers. And that's the old temple model of thinking. And Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, when he says, you know, we don't pour new wine into old wine skins. Do we have any chosen fans in the house? Anybody that's watching chosen? Okay, some excitement. Okay, great. So this last episode, Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples and he's explaining this whole picture of new wine skins. Uh, oh, sorry, new wine in old wine skins. And he's like talking and the disciples are busy like unpacking this, this metaphor. And the metaphor goes as follows. When you put new wine into a wine skin, it starts expanding, it's fermenting and it creates all kinds of gas. So there needs to be space for this thing to expand so that it can capture and take and carry the life of what's happening inside with that wine. And when you would put it into an old wine skin that's hard, doesn't have the capacity, an old model, an old way of thinking, it just bursts and breaks it open and there's just like all the new wine's gone. And then he tells them about the story and then all the disciples like with question marks, it's like Jesus smiling is like, yeah, guys, this is what you do. And then they're like, okay, what do you mean? It's like, okay, guys, let me explain. The new thing that I'm doing will not fit into the old molds or vessels that you think Christianity or God is about. My new thing does not fit into a religious system. You're going to waste it if you pour it in there. It's something brand new. What a challenge. So then he goes on back to our story with the expert in the law, and he helps this man to discover what is captured in this old story. What's the heart behind it? And what's the thing that Jesus is coming to break open? And he starts speaking to this guy. He's asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied to him, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Everybody say half dead. I want you to take this in. This was a very dangerous road. This is not just the kind of road that you love walking at night. Like I'm speaking to the students every now and then and they know sun is setting, not walking alone, <laughs> because just maybe I'm going to get mugged. Now this guy was... That's the space that he's walking through. Just get that picture into your mind. I've never realized it, but it's important to see this. Verse 31, Jesus goes on with the story. He says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And here you have the shocking moment kind of like setting up for the big shock, but just like the first, first level of shock, is there's a priest and a Levite. These guys are the custodians, the sacred men, and the guys keeping this sacred place in order. They are, I mean, and they embody the law. And Jesus says they walk by and they miss it. 
And I was always very hard on these guys because I'm like, eh, sure. These guys are like, oh yeah, terrible people. They don't want to even help anybody. They're like so full of themselves. That's the picture that I always saw. But you guys realize it's not just giving up some comfort. They would risk their life to stop and help this guy. It was dangerous. I mean, not too far back a few years ago when I was still staying in Pretoria, I got a mail. We always had these mails coming from the police around, telling you and warning you about some new schemes that's going on. And one of the schemes were there was a specific space in our neighborhood where guys would set up a trap for you to kind of mug you and take your car. And the way they would do it is they would let a young guy looking like he's bleeding, lying in the middle of the, in the, middle of the road. And if you stop to help him, Guys would jump out behind some other bush that they've been hiding behind, and then they would overwhelm you and take everything that you have and go for it. So it's literally the same picture here. So you're going to get ready to mug. So I can now understand way better why these guys are going, but you also see what's happening. The law is not enough to get them to love and the way Jesus is calling us to love because we know the rest of the story, but let's let just take another step. The original audience minds are blown now when Jesus says, so, a Samaritan. <laughs> what, what, Jesus, Samaritan? You know, Samaritan? It's like levels of people, you know, the Pharisees, the priests, the Levites, the mothers-in-law, the tax collectors, the Samaritans. You know, <laughs> it's like, whoa, down here. The guys that we despise, we hate these guys. And it's, it's serious, guys. I mean, they would take the law and they would mix it with all kind of pagan worship, with sex gods and with all kinds of like child sacrificing gods. They would be like no respect for God's word. And Jesus picks this guy. That's basically the guy that's always lacking during the club, you know. Jesus picks that guy. <laughs> and he says, okay, now he's walking. He comes onto the scene and what's he doing? He's stopping he takes care. He sees him and he has great compassion on him. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, very expensive stuff. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of it. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. So he's taking care of this guy and he doesn't want anyone else to pay any expenses. He's taking care of the whole bill. And then he says, as I'm going, when I come back, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So this oak, the enemy of the Jewish nation, the guys, I don't even talk to a Samaritan. You, got, you guys are a disappointment. He's like, I'm going to take care of you. This shocked this oak. What do we see Jesus doing as he's bringing up the new way? The old way doesn't have the capacity to take it. The law is not strong enough because the love that he describes is so radical, it's almost unthinkable. This oak helps his enemy, loves his enemy, risks his life for his enemy. That's the kind of love that he has. Think about your enemy. We can name a few governments, officials, you can go down the list if you'd like. Do you hear what I'm saying? God asks us to love. And not just to risk our comfort, to risk our life. And secondly, 
Jesus, as smart as he is, and as a brilliant teacher as he is, he throws back this guy's question. He twists the question, and he opens up the real conversation. This guy's trying to use the law to kind of like put little boundaries for himself to say, this is how much I need to work in order to be good and cool. And then Jesus says, no, no, you're missing it. While asking him the following question, verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think, buddy, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, I hope you guys can see what Jesus is doing. This story starts off with a guy asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells him a story of what is a neighbor. And he's asking him. He's posing the question. What is he saying? Let me try and say it to you as clear as I can. The church of Jesus Christ is more compassionate about being a neighbor than wanting to find out who is my neighbor. Do you see the difference? Gigantic. There's like a huge gift to say, I'm going to be, I'm going to love, I'm going to go out and be the neighbor God has called me to be. That's the picture. So, I'll never forget the first time that I saw it right here in Bloemfontein when God challenged me personally to go out and love many times the unloved, the marginalized, those people that nobody ever wants to connect with in our city, the poor. It's not always easy. It's not always lacquer because it's always asking something of me to give. So we hosted our first street store. And one of the ladies on the full-time team with us, her name is Anita. Maybe you've heard the story before, but just sit back and allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you in this. But she went with me and we did our first street store. God did amazing stuff. And at the street store, this lady discovered and met a new friend. And as she met this lady on the lack of conversation, she prayed for her the next day or the next week, that Monday morning as she's on her way to work. She sees the lady that she met at street store, this poor lady living on the street. She sees her by the side of the road on her way to work. Obviously, she realized I've always just drove past this lady. I've never even seen her. But now finally, the distance has been canceled. At least I know who it is. And she decides, well, I'm going to stop and have a little bit of a conversation. And she invites her into the car and they drive to work and Something in her heart just like, can I, can I not help this lady? And she gives, him, gives her a job and this lady becomes the cleaning lady at the workspace. And as they start picking her up and bringing her to work and picking her up and bringing her to work, they have conversations and they discover that the lady that they've appointed can do far more because in the past she was actually a receptionist. She is good with admin, which is very funny and interesting to discover because as they heard her story, what actually happened is that her husband passed away and the emotional stress and pain of that moment was just too much for her and she couldn't deal with it. Ultimately to the point that her kids decided you're too much for us to look after and they rejected her and threw her away and she couldn't handle it. So she climbed on a bus, drove away from her family and she came to live on the streets of Bloemfontein. You know, many times I look at people that's poor and I have my little assumption and judgment like, you lazy, you don't want to work. It's not always the same story. And my judgment quickly gets me away from true love. At that moment, her heart broke open and they decided as a business to trust her in this new position. And they discovered that the risk paid off way further than they could have ever imagined. They, she was literally the best receptionist they've ever had. They were shocked about who, how good this lady was. 
They started conversing and conversations went to and fro, and they start speaking about the Bible and speaking about Jesus. And ultimately, this lady gives her life to Jesus throughout this process. She reads the Bible. She asks questions. And then finally, the one morning, she woke up, and Anita picked her up at work or at home, driving to work. And um, a shocking question came through. She looked Anita in the eyes and said, I'm putting in my resignation. Anita's like, why are you putting in your resignation? What? Everything is going so well. Why? I mean, you have a job. It's going wonderful. We love you. She's, no, I'm going to pack up all my stuff. I'm going to have to go back, face my family. I'm forgiving them. And I'm going to choose to love them. She takes all of her possessions, which, fit, which basically just fits into one little suitcase, stands at the Greyhound <laughs> bus station. Oh, guys. <laughs> she climbs onto that bus. Today she's living in the Western Cape, a real estate agent, fully reunited with her family. She was loved back to life, and then she could go back to love that family back to life. The people that rejected her, her own people, threw her out on the street. She goes back to love them. That's radical stuff. Maybe her story is challenging you today in a modern day context to go and do the same. In fact, that's where I believe we need to end today. The words Jesus left this man with after he explained the capacity and the call of what it means to truly represent love himself on this planet. He looks at this man and he says to him, you, and I want you to hear that today, you, Jesus saying, you, you, go and do likewise. That's the call. That's the new movement. That's the new commandment. And I'm telling you guys now, if you would ask the disciples, which covenant costs the most, the old covenant or the new covenant? I mean, the old covenant, 613 rules. I mean, it's like, it's daily sacrifices, so many rituals, so many things that you need to keep up with, a hectic load of work. And if you ask any disciple that followed Jesus, they would say, that's easy stuff. This costs you your life. So go and do likewise. Go and love like this. Go and selflessly sacrifice your comfort for the benefit of others. Go and risk your life to help the vulnerable and heal the pain in Bloemfontein. Go and bless your enemy. Give them what you desire for yourself. Be great at this. This is what he's saying. Oh, Small note. And don't just talk about who needs love. Shh. Go and love. There's no talk and love. It's go and love. That's the call. And if you're honest, in the words of Jesus, John 13, it sounds quite powerful. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Just this might overwhelm you this morning because you might be asking, where do I get the resource to love like this? And the answer is in Jesus' commandment. 
It's in the discovery that as the Samaritan risked his life so that someone might be loved back to life, Jesus didn't just risk. Guys, he went further. He went all in. He didn't just risk and give up some comfort or risk his safety. He gave his life. He gave up his space that he had in heaven. He came down. He served his very own that rejected him. He gave. And until you discover that truth, you will never be able to love as he loves. So let's pray. Let's pray. You know, the word makes it very clear as your eyes are closed that there's only one person that can reveal this, that can empower you with this. And it's God's Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit himself. No man can love like this out of their own power. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Jesus, I want to have this. Give me the capacity to love in this way. A love that goes beyond my understanding. I want to ask you just to open up your hands. Just there where you're sitting. Just saying, Jesus, I want this. Just open it up. Yes. Father, as Paul has prayed so beautifully for the church of Ephesus, this morning I want to pray for Central, Doxodeo Central, this church that you're calling together in this beautiful city of Bloemfontein. And I want to pray, Father, that you would, by the glorious riches of your mercy, strengthen every person here by the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and love to love because they are comprehending how great is your love for them. No matter where you failed this morning, I want to tell you God loves you. No matter where you've missed the mark or you missed interpret or maybe you're still busy with the old model and the sacred text and the sacred mean, I want to tell you God loves you through that. His love is great. And then as people's hands were open and Holy Spirit that you come and challenge and give us the capacity to love like this, I want to pray also Open up your heart that God would bring a name to you. What name is he dropping in your thoughts? Who's the person that you need to give a call? You need to reach out to. You need to be a blessing to. Who is that person and that individual? In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.